He's worthy of everything. It doesn't matter how much you give up in this life. He's worthy of it all. No matter what you might have to go through to serve him. No matter what you might have to give up. No matter how big the loss is that you have to endure to serve him. He's worthy of it all. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We can dismiss our children. There's a presence in this place. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Hallelujah. You become, well, it's probably 50 years ago when the Lord saved me, I became addictive to his presence. I don't want to be any place where I can't sense the presence of God. They are places. They call themselves churches, but you go in and leave the same way. That's not the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to know I went, I met, and he did. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue in our series today. In fact, we're going to conclude it on what it means to be a Christian. And I hope that uh, what we have experienced will give you a broader idea of what you have committed your life to in the type of life that Christianity really is. You know, we learned in the beginning of this series that Christianity didn't just spring up 2,000 years ago. It wasn't just a, a new religion that, that came upon the earth, but it was one that was born in the, in the mind of God before the creation of the world. God had already intended for this to happen. The Bible tells us the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world, before God even designed the world, that the Lamb was already slain for you and I. Christianity is not just for a short time here on earth, but it's for eternity. So I titled this message, which will conclude it, which I believe has got to be the most important truth that you need to hide in your heart for the rest of your life. And that is, there's more after this life. So I titled the message, The Eternal Perspective. The Apostle Paul made this statement, and it's so true, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. Paul says, if only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We ought to be pitied more than all men. Then in the King James Version, it says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, if you think that Christianity is just for here, 
then you just as well go do whatever you want to do. You just as well go eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. But that's not the case. Christianity is not just for us to get through this life, but what is after this life. And there are ages to come. The Bible tells me there's dispensations that's going to come. Christianity is really to get us ready for the future age. Because the future age, God has a purpose for you and I to be in it. That's why he came to save us. This eternal perspective of the Christian life should be the governing factor of your life. That you're not just getting through this life, but there's another one that's coming. You know, Jesus said, anyone who believes in me will live even though he dies. I like that. I hold on to that. And he says, if you die, you will live. I like that too. See, so there is more. I realized that when I got saved that I'm never going to die. I don't know about you. I'm never going to die. So when I do die and you're around, don't think I'm gone. I left here, but I'm not gone. And I'm not dead. You might cry because you missed me, but don't cry because I'm dead because I'm not. <laughs> and I guarantee you, you ain't going to want to come back. So the eternal life we receive when we say it's going to continue on. This life that God has put into me, eternal life, is going to live on for ages to come. There's such a thing as an eternal vocation. God has a plan for me even beyond this life. I don't know what it's going to be. There's some things I'd like to do, but uh, it's going to be his plan. So God has a plan for us. Not only has a plan for us in this life, he has a plan for us beyond this life. It goes beyond. I mean, how many know we're not promised tomorrow? I don't care whether you're young, old, or what. You're not promised tomorrow. When you get up every morning, you need to thank God that he's going to let you, you live another day. Because age don't matter in death. Death has no preference. We don't know. But God has a plan for us beyond this life on earth. The Lord Jesus wrote seven letters in the book of Revelation to seven churches in Asia. And he ends every one of these letters with a phrase referring to eternity. This is what he wrote to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.7. He said, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. That's where we're going. You get out of here, right? We're going to be in the paradise of God, and we're going to be able to eat from the tree of life, tree of eternal life we'll be able to eat from. Then the church in Smyrna, in Revelation 2.11, he says, He who overcomes will not be hurt at, at all by the second death. I don't know if you understand what that second death is. The second death is judgment. It's a judgment on those who have not received the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not repented of their sins and been born again. Guess what? The second death, you get thrown into the lake of fire. I'm free of that. 
I'm not going there. Those who reject the gospel, this is what's waiting for them. So the future is we're going to escape the lake of fire. Hallelujah. Then the church in Pergamon, Revelation 2.17, he says, To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who received it. So there's something we're going to get. God's going to give us some things that we don't even know about yet. He's going to give them to us. The church in Tyatara, Revelation 2.26, it says, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, remember, only those who endure to the end are going to be saved. I will give authority over the nations. I like this. This is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ here on earth. He said we're going to rule and reign with him. I hope he gives me a city. I want to rule. I hope it's New Orleans because I really like to straighten it out. I really like to take it over. Let, let the righteous government take over and take over this country. Hallelujah. The church that saw this in Revelation 3, 5, he says, He who overcomes, like them, will be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. I like that. You're going to be recognized. Getting through this life and overcoming, you're going to be recognized before the father in heaven and the angels in heaven. We're going to be recognized. I like that. The church in Philadelphia, he wrote in Revelation 3.12, says, He who overcomes, I'll make a pillow in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. This is all coming forward. This is going to be another age that we're going to live in the new Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven. I, I like to see that city. The Bible says it's 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. Can you imagine the stories that's going to be in there? You imagine it's half of the United States wide and that tall. That's what we're going to be living in. It's better than this. The church at Laodicea in Revelation 3.21 he says, to him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We're sitting on the throne with Jesus. See, what was the Lord doing here telling these churches this? Well, what he was telling them was there's more to come than this. No matter what you have to face here, there's better coming. We just got to make sure that we leave here right. Them that overcome this life on earth, he gave the churches an eternal perspective on hope for the future. See, we have hope. The world without Christ don't have any hope. All they have hope is what's going to happen here. No, I have hope in what's going to happen after this life. In Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, Plan to give you hope and a future. Not only hope now, but there's a future coming to those who are the people of God. In Romans 8, 24, 
Paul says this, for in this hope, he gives us the definition of hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So hope is always in the future. Hope is not what we have now. I don't hope to be saved. I'm already saved. I got that. I, I have hope in what's coming. I have hope in a life that I'm going to live here on earth. But I also have hope in the one that I haven't received yet. And that's the life after this life. So hope is really linked to the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, and it's the evidence of things not seen. See, I know there's a better life after this. I know what eternity is going to be like because I have that hope and it's already residing in my heart, my life, and in my spirit. I have it. So hope should be the driving force that presses us to exercise faith. i got to believe that God's going to get me through this life no matter what. I can be dead tomorrow. I'm out of here. But whatever is facing me, I have hope that he's going to get me through it. You know why? Because he's got plans for me after this life. Not only had a plan for me for this life, because believe me, 40 years ago, if you'd have told me I'd be overseeing three churches and pastoring preaching, I said, no, that's not, that's not what I think. No, it's his plan. He has a plan for every one of you. Not only in this life, he has the plan for after. We got more to come, and it's going to be better than this. So faith is what we're hoping to receive. I don't know about you. I'm hoping to receive eternal life. I'm hoping to, 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 to live with Christ. I'm hoping to reign with Christ. Everything he says is going to be for me. I want it. I want everything. The word of God gives us much to hope for in God's eternal purpose for us. And I want to tell you something. We've talked about the fullness of Christ. You'll never reach the fullness of Christ without an eternal perspective of the end game. See, I'm looking at the end game. See, that's what makes me endure this life is because I know what the end game is. See, I'm going for that. I'm shooting for the end game. So having an eternal perspective motivates us to press on. You say, well, hey, I'm going through some hard times. Stick it out. <laughs> we, we got something better coming. I don't care how bad it gets here. It, we got the end game is going to be better. See, to finish the race and hold out to the end and to finish strong, I want to finish strong. I want to go out here in faith, believing who, I, who saved me, who restored me, who has given me eternal life. I want to go out here. I want the last breath in my mouth say Jesus. I remember when uh, my, one of my, my grandmother, who was an old, old Italian woman, she grew up in Catholicism. She didn't know much about the gospel and being born again, anything like that. All I knew what the Bible says, that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I didn't have time when she was on her deathbed to tell her about the cross, about the sacrifice. I said, Grandma, 
I said, call on the name of Jesus. And she did. She kept saying it over and over. Jesus. Jesus. I said, that's it. Keep saying it. Jesus. Because the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I believe that that happened. Remember the progressive aspect that I talked about last week, that the fullness of Christ is something that you don't get it all at once. We're getting more of the fullness of Christ as we live for Christ. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting what is behind and I'm straining forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul said, listen, I haven't got there yet. I haven't been made perfect yet. I haven't, I haven't gotten everything yet. But one thing I'm doing, I'm forgetting back there. I'm forgetting all the mistakes, all the things I've done. I, I'm pressing on to what is before me. See, that's an eternal perspective that we have to have if we're going to make it through this life. i got to know I'm heading somewhere that's better than this, no matter what I'm going through. You're going to face things. I've faced things even since I was saved. I've faced cancer. I've faced all kinds of things. Listen, Paul had an eternal perspective that drove him to the end. Paul said, man, look, they had one church that he was going to Jerusalem, and he knew, they, they knew, the church knew that they were going to arrest him and beat him and do whatever. Paul said, listen, I got to go. See, I ain't worrying about what they're going to do. I'm worrying about where I'm headed. You see, if I got to die for Christ, then, then, then that's it. He said, he said, for me to live is, is Christ. To die is gain. If they kill me, they're doing me a favor. You see, because I'm going to reach my goal. His goal was to win the prize for which God called him. Remember, remember what we read in Romans 8, 20. We're all called according to God's purpose. You have a purpose in your life. We are called to do that. And God doesn't want us striving for anything less than his fullness. Because what we accomplish as far as the fullness of Christ determines our reward. There is a reward. Jesus said, I'm coming back and my reward is with me. And I'm going to give it to anybody who has conquered this place. I'm going to give a reward to. Now, if you want to be so spiritual and say you're not serving God for reward, that's fine. Give it to me. Give it, give it to me. If you think you're so spiritual, you're not serving God for reward, you give it to me. I take it. I want everything he has for me. I want everything. He died for everything. I want everything. Okay? So, there, uh, God doesn't want us striving in this life for anything that doesn't result in the fullness of Christ in us. The reward will be eternity. It will be determined on how we build on this life. You see, 
The blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice on the cross, took care of our past. That's why Paul said, I'm forgetting the past. I'm forgetting when I was religious. I'm forgetting when I fought the church. I'm forgetting all of that because I've been forgiven of that. But from the moment you come to Christ and you become born again, then we've got to start building on that life, that new life. You can't just say, okay, I'm saved, that's the end. No, we've got to build on this life. See, people who only have life, uh, only have hope for this world, or those people, they're preparing their future here on earth. You hear people talking about, you know, I, I can't wait till I'm retiring. I'm saving my money so I can retire and I can take life easy. How many people have worked so hard, raised so much money, stacked all their money in banks and stocks and bonds and all of that, and they don't live long enough to get it? How many? How many? Jesus told this parable concerning this very same thing. Jesus said this in Luke 12, 16. He said he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. We want to be rich toward God, not rich in this life. God's going to take care of you. God's going to meet all of your needs. He's going to provide everything you have need of if we're serving him. So let's serve him. And let's, let's, let's get rich towards God. I want to be rich towards God. See, the man was rich in this world. And how many, how many people, how many rich people are, are, are facing uh, hell right now? How many? They're thinking that uh, their wealth is what is going to save them. No, it won't. Not one penny of it will save them. Earthly retirement and wealth can't compare. What we have here cannot compare to the eternal reward that God has for us. The Bible says it hasn't even entered into the mind of man. You can't even conceive what God has for us, what God has prepared for us. We can't even imagine it. We can't even conceive it in our natural mind. But there is a reward. I want to tell you, there's a reward that will be allotted to us. But sorry to say there's going to be different levels of reward. It depends on us, what we're going to do. In Revelation 22:12, 12, the Lord says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I'm going to give to everyone according to, to what he has done. What does that mean? That means if I did little, I'm going to get little. If I've done much, I'm going to get much. You see? He's going to give us a reward, but it's going to be according to what we have done. 
What we've done refers to, let me tell you now, I want, I want to give you some, some revelation here. It's not all the things we did on earth, but it's more about how much of Christ have we got? How much of the image of Christ do we have? That's going to be our reward. See, because it's how we built our life in Christ after we received salvation. How much more am I like Christ now than I was when I first got saved? The Apostle Paul gives us an illustration here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul said, by the grace God has given me, remember what grace is, grace is, is unmerited favor. He says, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and a fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. That's scary. That's scary. We have two scenarios here. One is the reward. The other one is escaping Barely escaping the flames. The one with the reward will depend on the progress in Christ here on earth. It's how you did with Christ. What is your relationship with Christ? How much of Christ is in you? How much do you resemble Christ now? The one escaping the flames are those who built their Christian life on worthless things. They will be burned up. They'll get to heaven. But only as one escaping the flames. In other words, they're going to hit the emergency door. The fire alarm then went off. And they're hitting the emergency door and coming through like this to escape the flames. I don't want to be that. You might want to play that game. I don't want to play that game. I don't want to play that game. See, they are those who professing Christians. You see them all the time. They want to profess to be a Christian, but they're going to live like the world. Now, I'm not going to judge whether they were saved or not, but I'm going to tell you one thing. If they are saved and they're living like the world and they get to heaven, it's going to be as one escaping the flames. That's scary. There will be different levels of reward for the future ages. Most believers don't even think about eternity. I began to think about eternity the moment I was saved. I said, I'm going to heaven. I, I, I'm going to heaven. 
I was fascinated by it when I realized that what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary was my ticket to heaven. I still got it. And I'm still fascinated today. Jesus said, if what he built survives, he will receive his reward. There are levels of what will survive. The test of fire. I want to tell you, your, your faith is tested. Peter tells us, listen, all the things we're going through, we're being tested with fire to see how you're going to make it. We know that wood, hay, and straw are not going to make it. That's what we build fires with. Throw the wood on it. Got a fireplace at home. I got to throw wood on that and make it burn. See, but it's going to burn up. It's the testing of the fire. Now, gold, silver, and stones will survive the testing of fire. You can throw gold in there. You can throw your wedding ring in there. It ain't going to burn up. Take it out. It's going to, the gold is still going to be there. It's not going anywhere. The rewards are going to be given according to what we accomplished here on earth. Now, let me tell you this. What, it's more than good works. Don't See, some people get hung up on the good works. They want to keep doing the good works thinking that that is it. That doing good works doesn't achieve the fullness of Christ. You can go out there and do all the stuff, you know, distribute the food, help the poor, do all that, and never, ever change. We don't get the fullness of Christ by doing good works. You're not even saved that way, the Bible says. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by faith through grace. It's not by works. It's not by works. So works is not what gives us the fullness of Christ. Fullness is conforming to the image of Christ. That's what it is. Listen, there, there are ungodly people out there giving money away and helping the poor, buying food. They're doing all that thinking that doing that is going to get them to heaven. No, that don't get you to heaven. That don't make you look like Jesus either. There is a sobering statement that I read, especially when God called me to the ministry. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone, this is Jesus talking here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Oh, is that scary? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What? I don't know some preachers if they read this or not, but this will scare the hell out of you. See, they did the work of the Lord, but they didn't know the Lord of the work. Because he told them, I never knew you. What? You mean everything I've done 
I prophesied. I did miracles. I preached the gospel. And you tell me you don't know me. Yes, I don't know you. See, there are many religious people doing all kind of great works, but they ain't born again. You'll never know God unless you're born again. You're never going to make it to heaven unless you're born again. Your life's got to change. Something, dra something dramatic has to happen to you if you have your mind on heaven. There better be a change. Big change. Big change. See, he doesn't count works as righteousness. He don't count that. You know what he counts? He counts faith. See, Abraham, the Bible said, was credited righteous because he believed God. Not for what he did, even though he obeyed God. He just believed God. He had faith in God. Faith will produce the works of God in our lives. If you have faith in God, you're going to do the good works. In fact, we are saved unto good works. We don't do good works to get saved. I'm saved so that I can go do the works. That's why Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped by the evidence of things not seen. I want to tell you, there's a great crisis that's about to come upon the earth. You know what it is? And it's a crisis that will determine everything on earth. And that crisis is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many know he's coming? He's coming. It was prophesied before he came that he was going to come. He came and he said when he got here, I'm coming back. When he comes, everything is going to be determined. That is what our future will be determined by when he comes. Now, where our places are going to be, what our functions are going to be, what's going to happen, the scriptures always keeps in view the coming of the Lord. The early apostles knew what Jesus said. They thought he was going to come back in their time. They were, they were working like if they would come back in their time. You see, the church went through 1,200 years of dark ages because they forgot. He's coming back. The church didn't wake up until the turn of the 20th century when this latter-day outpouring of God's Holy Spirit hit the church. The church woke up, they read the Word of God and said, why aren't the Spirit moving like this? Why aren't the church full of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Why aren't the miracles happening? Why aren't people getting baptized and speaking in tongues? Why isn't that happening? Well, they began searching God, seeking God in holiness and righteousness. And guess what? At the turn of the century, through a black preacher on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, the Holy Ghost hit. Changed the world. Changed the world. That's why you're here today. That's why I was a tongue talker. Because of what happened. And what happened to the church, it inspired the whole world. Missionaries are going everywhere. In the power, in the anointing of God's Holy Spirit.
The scriptures always had the coming of the Lord in, in sight. The church lost it. You'll hardly ever hear preaching of that anymore. You'll hardly ever hear preaching that Jesus is coming back. See, if we don't have that in the back of our minds, that he could show up here any minute, any hour, any second, don't matter how you live. But if we really knew, but not only that, not only that he can come back, he's coming back, he's going to show up in the clouds, the dead in Christ are going to rise, catch the church out of here. But you can die tomorrow, you can die today. We're going to see him one way or the other. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, it says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This is the hope that our faith is resting on. He's coming back. He's coming back. And in 1 John 3, 1 to 3, John says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now look at this. Everyone who has this hope, what is the hope? Jesus is coming back. What's the hope? Jesus is coming back. When? We don't know, but he's coming. He's coming. Okay? So everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. How is that going to happen? What is this hope? The hope is his return is going to purify us. If I really believe he's coming back, then I'm going to live right. I'm not going to turn to the right or to the left. I'm going to keep going straight. Why? Because he could come back today. And if I'm not right, I'm going to be sorry. Because if this hope is in us, then we're going to live right. This hope will cause us, listen, we've, we've been, we started this church, how long ago, Nick? About five years ago, six years ago. And we, we've touched many people, but they didn't last. See, they didn't stick. We reached a lot of people. I prayed with a lot of people except Christ. They ain't here. If they were, we wouldn't even be meeting in this place. We'd need a bigger one. Everybody don't stick. But I want to tell you, you got a pastor that's going to stick. I've been already 50 years. I ain't giving up now. I want my reward. I want it. The second coming. Let me tell you what happened at the turn of the century, this latter-day outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, where the Pentecostal movement took off, changed the world, it still is today. 
under the power and the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. When they took off, they had one message. I mean, the message of the gospel, repent. But the message was the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what's going to give us the power to live the life. You can't live this life without the Holy Ghost. You can't live the life without the power and the anointing of God's Holy Spirit in your life. Forget about it. You need to be full. You want to live this life? You got to be full of the Holy Ghost. That was the message. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues. Yes, that's what you need if you're going to live this. And number two, Jesus is coming back. Get the power and know that he can come back any day and you'll be successful in your Christian life today. That revival is still being felt today. We have to look forward to that day and prepare ourselves for it because our standing in the fullness of Christ will, will matter. Without the eternal perspective, we will never reach the fullness of Christ. Never. You know what's going to happen? We're going to be caught up in this life. As many as we have ministered to have, they come in, they get fired up, we're about Christ, they get fired up, and then they get caught up in life, and they back out there again. Without this eternal perspective, that's what will happen. You'll get caught up in this life. I want to read the last recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. I like it. This is the last words. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. This is what he says. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In verse 16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. In verse 20, he says, yes. I'm coming soon. Now, I don't know about you, but I said, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. But then I read in the Bible that says, with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. A day like a thousand years. So don't say, and, and, and Jesus said some, some parables about that. Don't say he's taking a long time. Because there's going to be a generation that's going to see him. I'm hoping it's this. I've been hearing this for 50 years. And I've been saying, I hope I'm here when he comes. I'm hoping that he's going to show up. It looks like the world is headed for him to come back. We're more wicked now than we've ever been. He's going to come back. But the only thing that will matter is how much of the fullness of Christ we have. Remember. It's not all we do. It's who we become. What will our spiritual condition be when he, when he comes? You know, we've just finished the football season. Didn't turn out good for many of us. But 
when the football season's over, you know, these news people, they interview the football players, and especially the running backs. And, and they ask them a question on how you evaluate your performance this year. How, how do you think you did? And many of them says, you know, I left some yardage out there on the field. Meaning, I had the opportunity to do more, but I didn't do it. I don't want to have to stand before Jesus and say, you know, Lord, I could have done more, but I didn't. No. We're going to face a great crisis. Jesus is coming back. You know, many Christians, they're interested in Christ's return. They, 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 but only in the prophetical aspect of events and happenings in the world. They want to know, when is it going to happen? They study it. When is it going to happen? They look at the things happening in the world, trying to figure out, you know, this is the time Jesus is going to come. But very few Christians are alive to the fact that this hope that we have that he's coming back should actually purify us. That it would keep the return of Christ in forefront of our life. It would keep us evaluating our spiritual life as our condition, as if Jesus came today. You'd have to evaluate yourself. Suppose he came today. What condition am I in spiritually? Would we be in line for reward that he promised? Or would we be rushing for the emergency door with the flames coming right behind us? See, this is what it means to be a Christian having our lives ready to meet our Lord and Savior. Do we have an eternal perspective? Are we being purified by the blessed hope of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we living as if he would come today? Stand with me. This is what a Christian life is all about. We're getting ready to meet the Lord. We're going to meet him. One way or the other, we're going to meet him. But I got to say today, if you're here today, you say, Pastor, I I'm not sure if I'm ready to meet him. I want to tell you this. If you haven't committed your heart and life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't been born again, you ain't ready. 